as we're getting ready to turn to Acts 17. Everyone say Acts 17. Amen. I believe God has got a word for us today in due season. Amen. We continue this series on Acts called The Cause. And each week from, the new, from this New Testament book of Acts, we are, the Holy Spirit is revealing to us more of God's great cause for our lives. And one of the great and impacting causes that God has for our lives here in San Francisco and has for our church, Christian City Church in this city, one of the great causes is actually to reflect, once you listen now, to reflect a true representation of God and to reflect the fact that God is a very kind God and reaches out with grace and forgiveness and reaches out with a love that draws people in, not pushes people away. Not to be parroting um, threats of pending judgments or acts of vengeance against our city that others recently have seen to be issuing or proclaiming about San Francisco. But I have to admit that I got just a little disappointed, as, as did most of the pastors of this city, when, I was, when we were informed of a so-called prophecy that was broadcast uh, across the screen of a, a, a religious television channel about the soon and coming destruction of San Francisco. Now, I don't think I'm being defensive or protective because actually I strongly believe in the prophetic. And I actually believe that there is. God is a judge. Everyone say God is a judge. True. That's part of his character. God is a judge. But I got a little disappointed because the weight of this prophecy that, that, that came out, and I don't want to, I'm not preaching about this, I'm preaching about Acts 17, and I want to show you and tie this into Acts 17. And this is not the, this is not the engine that's driving this, but I, I want to use this as a platform to help us understand part of our cause as a church and part of our cause here in San Francisco. And, uh, but it, it, this, this prophetic word uh, had good and maybe not so good in it. And uh, I felt it went against... Why is this point? Because I felt it went against the weight and the message of the New Testament teaching and practice that God has established with us that this is the day of God's grace and faith. There was a whole lot of judgments proclaimed, destruction and all these sorts of things going to happen to San Francisco because of the sin that we were weighed in the balance. Our city was weighed in the balance, and the sin was so heavy that God could not stop judging. He, was, he would not relent his judgment. And it's quite clear. I have a copy of it here. There's three pages of it. And uh, maybe I'll just mention a couple of things so you have an idea of what I'm talking about. The word for San Francisco and Los Angeles. Um, a dread for San Francisco. A mighty shaking and trembling beginning under the earth. From the Pacific it shall come in fire and water it shall come. Uh, the whole city freezes as one and the shaking and the terror. And then fire will come. A horrifying inferno, a literal inferno 
a ravaged land. I'm just pulling out some of the, the, the points here. Ravaged cities, but one city that received the full force of this, and uh, and there was, and the warning was crying out. The bay, the bay, the heavens were black, blacker than the black, blacker than black, and there was no light. Smoke continued to uh, rise, and thousands upon thousands of this city, San Francisco, were killed at the first strike. Then this person saw a second strike, and they saw water devastating, devastating parts of the west coast in San Francisco, and they issue a warning, beware the north, north the northern California coast, coastline. They saw plumes of smoke rising from charred buildings, um, not just one city affected, more than one on the northern California coast. People bleeding and dying. The emergency services hindered greatly from reaching the bay in good time. Um, no one could prepare for this, and the suffering was intense. Many were cursing God, even in their suffering. Uh, the moon turned a strange color of crimson, and haze hung over the bay for many days and nights, and the city was silent. Thousands of people were left crushed and drowned. Um, they saw something in the sky over San Francisco, empty cisterns. And the scales, the scales of sin and judgment were full, so full that judgment could not be withheld over San Francisco. And San Francisco seemed to receive the full brunt of this ferocious shaking. Um, one side of the scale weighed right down with the sin and iniquity. Um, it was a reflection of how sin and rebellion against the Most High God had blackened the hearts of men in this city. Um, and then there was a description of San Francisco, Golden Gate, Altar of Harlots and Idolaters, Baal and Idolatry. Oh, I hate all that stuff. Oh, please, please. Uh, that's, uh, uh. Then I uh, led back to San Francisco, great devastation ahead in the future. This is all good news. You know, well, they think it's good news, but it's not good news. I saw the words Baal, Idolatry, lasciviousness, lust, Sodom and Gomorrah. How many have heard that before? Saw the angels of judgment set fiercely against the city and the word of the Lord came forth saying, for I have set my face against this land and even in a moment I shall smite it. I saw the, the fall of the golden gate cut in two. And the mighty were brought down to the ground even in a moment and above the golden gate bridge was written idolatry, and I saw the city of San Francisco, devastation, black, etc., etc. It goes on and on. Now, if that just came from a guy down the road, I wouldn't say anything about it. But when it's broadcast on Christian television, and I hear reports coming back to me that people around the nation are saying, get out of San Francisco. You poor people in San Francisco. I have a problem. I have a problem. Not here to preach against the prophecy, because I, I think that we can all prophesy, and we know we prophesy in part. We know in part, isn't that right? And I want to receive, but the prophetic word is to really build up in this day. When G Jesus knew how to handle prophecy, he took Isaiah when he stood in the temple. He he took Isaiah chapter fifty sixty one. Thank you, and he said. For the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Amen? Because he has anointed me to what? Preach what? Preach good news. To proclaim liberty for the captive, open eyes for the blind, to set up free the prisoners. 
and to proclaim that this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, actually, the Old Testament prophecy goes on and to declare the day of God's vengeance. But do you know in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 to 19, when Jesus read that prophecy, he stopped at the after saying, the day, this is the day of God's favor. He did not prophesy the day of vengeance of our God. That's because the old covenant finished with Jesus and the new covenant has begun. That does not mean that one day there won't be a judgment. Yes, there will. But gone are the days when God smote the earth and smote people's lives as a, as a judgment against them for their sin. Everything in the New Testament tells us repeatedly, repeatedly, the weight, the burden of Scripture that we are living in the day of God's grace. And that's why people running around with long hair, prophesying, you know, uh, you know hermits prophesying death and gloom and, and all this sort of stuff, you, they're, they're usually unusual people. And what disturbs me is that this person, you know, was, ha, has access to thousands and thousands and probably millions of Americans and gave this word without coming to San Francisco, without checking what God is doing here, the great things that God is doing here, without realizing that God has sent you and me into the city to bring good news, not bad news. That there is a righteous thing that God is doing in this city and churches are growing. You know? So it's not the engine that's driving my ship. I want to tell you that. I just want to bring this understanding from... Acts 17, because I want to tie this in now to Acts 17. Because in Acts 17, Paul encountered a city similar to San Francisco. It was Athens. And while he was there waiting for Paul and Silas in Athens, uh, let's go to that first, that, that next slide. While he's there waiting for them, he sees that it's a very religious city, a very spiritual city. But he doesn't, I want you to notice that that he does not bring, it's full of idols and idolatry, right? But he doesn't bring a a message like we just heard. What does he do? Let's read this. The longer Paul waited in Athens for Silas and Timothy, the more distressed he got, all those idols. The city was a junkyard of idols. He discussed it with the Jews and other like-minded people at their meeting place and And every day he went out on the streets and talked with everyone who happened along. He got to know some of the Epicurean and Stoic intellectuals. Stoic. I want to tell you, those Stoics, these were the guys that wanted bad news. They lived for the bad news. Stoic, they were stern-faced. They wanted the judgment. All right? And, And intellectuals pretty well through these conversations. Some of them dismissed him with sarcasm. What an airhead. But others listening to him speak about Jesus and the resurrection were intrigued. That's a new slant on the gods. Tell us more. These people got together and asked him to make a public presentation over at the Areopagus, where things were a little quieter. They said, this is a new one on us. We've never heard anything quite like it. Where did you come up with this anyway? Explain it so we can understand. So Paul laid it out for them. He said, it's plain to see that you Athenians take your religion or your spirituality serious. When I arrived here the other day, I was fascinated with all of the shrines I came across. And then I found one inscribed, 
to the God nobody knows. And I am here today to introduce you to this God, the God that you don't know yet, so now you can worship intelligently and know who you're dealing with. I can't say this enough. We're a church in the heart of San Francisco that needs to have a true, real, and present revelation of the God of now so that we can communicate and reflect the God of now to this city. Not the God of the Old Testament. Of sure, the Old Testament is extremely important to us. It is equal weight, New and Old Testament. But it was a shadow of things to come. Now we live in the day of the acceptable year of the Lord. And that's what we are to proclaim. If Jesus stops short of pronouncing judgment and the day of vengeance of our God, who are we to say, San Francisco, you're going to burn in hell? You see, this is the problem. If we do not know the real character of God, then unfortunately, who he is will really remain unknown to others. And they will pick up snippets like this from Christians. Say, wow. God is an angry God. He's seen all our sin. As if our sin in San Francisco is any worse than Dallas. Or New York. Or Denpasar. Or Baghdad. The God that is unknown, mostly San Francisco, is the God that we need to proclaim. The God who is a father, who lavishes not judgment, but lavishes kindness and love. I know in our own self-righteousness, it would be very easy for me to stand up here and throw stones at people who live who are caught in a lifestyle of sin. Point the finger and say you've been rebellious and you've been anti-God and and hold this self-righteous position. But I want you to look at this next slide because this is the word of God. Look how lavish our Father is right now. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. They don't know this lavish with love God. Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, everyone say when he appears. That's not when he comes one day again, second coming. When he comes into a city through the through the testimony of believers. Can someone say amen? Amen. When he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This city needs to see God who he really is. When we start communicating the message, the true reflection of who God really is now. Not the God of history. Sure, he is a God of history. 
and he operated in a certain way. But he realized that that way was not good enough. And so he gave the, paid the highest price for us and sent his son to take all the judgment away from us. Can I, can, can I maybe, can I, can I explain it like this? God is a good God. Everyone say God is a good God. Do you believe it? Who remembers the mess that they were in when they were away from God? Or at least the mess you're in when you were moving toward God. (laughs) God reached down in his love and saved you. If he wanted to judge you, you would not be living right now. You would be putty. You'd be dust. Say you took your nephew or your niece or kids to a petting zoo and in that petting zoo a little lamb or a puppy escaped from the cage and came running towards you. You probably wouldn't be freaked out. You probably wouldn't be afraid because the little, a little puppy or a little lamb is very harmless. Isn't that right? You might even reach out your hand and let the puppy or the little lamb lick it. But let's say you're at the zoo and the alarm goes out that, the li- that a lion has escaped from its cage. And you're standing there, and a lion comes running toward you. You'd be terrified, and you'd start to run because you know what lions can do. Isn't that right? Now, just suppose that runaway lion corners you in one part of the zoo and comes up to you, and you're thinking, oh, my God, it's about to pounce and tear me to shreds. But then, instead of pouncing on you, It comes up to you, stands by you to protect you, and starts to gently lick your hand. Whose gentleness would you appreciate more? The lambs or the lions? You'd appreciate the lion's gentleness because you know that he could have easily destroyed you without violating his nature as a lion. Well, this is what grace is. Grace is God's kindness and gentleness to us when he could have backed us into a corner as guilty sinners, pounced on us, destroyed us without violating his holy character. But instead, listen to this, but instead, God loves us so much, lavishes his love on us so much and wants to gather us so much to himself as his children So instead of expressing his wrath against all this holy, righteous judgment, which is a necessary part of his character, which was never meant for us in the first place, only ever meant for the devil and his angels. Hell was not prepared for you, it was prepared for the devil. But by your own rejection of Jesus Christ, you make your own way there. Instead of pouring out all that righteous wrath and anger on us, do you know what the lavish, loving God did? He poured all that righteous anger and holy fire out on his own son. He was born. David prophesies of Jesus the Messiah. 
the lions of Bashan surround me. Demonic hordes come in. He became one of them. Why? So that you and I could go on and receive punishment in this life for the mistakes and the failures of man. You see, God is a righteous God, but his anger came onto his own Is not mad at San Francisco. I don't think it's happy. I don't think he, he gets happy that people rebel against him or sin. But we're still here because he's not mad at these people. And he has a hope for us. He sent another young prophet by the name of Jeremiah to say this word to them. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to do you good, to give you a hope and a future. Now, now the whole judgment thing, there is a day reserved. The Bible is very clear that he will judge everybody. But that judgment is for eternity. God's judgment is withheld in this day of grace. Because the Bible says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, not his judgment that leads us to repentance. Are you tracking with me? So we must shake off and we must refuse any hint of this, San Francisco, you're a harlot, you're, you're idolatrous, you are found wanting and you are going to burn and drown. God is going to smite you. God is about ready to smite you. I do not believe in a smiting God. I do not believe God is up in heaven with the smite button. Sure. Bad stuff happens, but do you know that we live in a world where God is no longer wanted and so the Bible talks about the world being under the sway of the evil one. And also, the, even creation itself, Jesus said, was subjected to frustration. Only, listen, only that it would be like a mother who is pregnant with child. Waiting. She is not diminished in the waiting, but she is expelled. Yes, there is pain in the world. There is pain in creation. There is pain in our circumstances. But that is not the judgment of God. It is like a pregnant mother waiting for the birth of a wonderful son. And there will be no more pain. No more waiting. God is not a judge. Sure, he is a judge. One day we'll, we'll stand before him and give an account of our life. 
you know what? The, the main thing is not how many sins you did, whether you accepted Jesus Christ as the one who's, who's of God's wrath, who was poured out on him. And you value that and you accept that as a payment for your own sin and separation from God. And you cross the line and say, I am so thankful, God. I realize I have now have a revelation that you love me so much that you step over into that and you say, I embrace that. I embrace Jesus. The devil's on the side. Just bringing out the You're going through that hard time because you know what it is. He's trying to demean the sacrifice that was paid for you so that you get to think that that you've got to go through this suffering to pay back what it costs. Dear friends, there is nothing you can do. Nothing you can do that will ever satisfy God's wrath or righteous judgment of sin apart from dependence on Jesus Christ. One time, one person, all time to pay me back. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you want to follow him?